At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Have you ever been interested in taking meaningful and eye-catching self-portraits? If so, our self-portrait photography indoors on a budget course is perfect for you. I'm actually the instructor and I'll be teaching you how to take really beautiful photographs of yourself indoors without investing in any other equipment. These lessons are all about making the most of what you have, experienced or not, and telling an authentic story. There are 30 video lessons that include quizzes, a community of photographers, random surprises, and much more. This is an incredible opportunity for you to improve your self-portrait photography skills and to impress everyone around you. I have a very special discount code just for our podcast listeners. We're offering a 50% discount code just for you. Use this code to claim your discount, Portrait50. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with Silvia Travieso, a Spanish photographer with a background in architecture and design who specializes in fine art conceptual work. We talk about creating panoramic shots, developing your style, why you should always take photographs that help you express your emotions, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Well, hi, Tanya. Um, well, my name is uh, Silvia Travieso. Uh, I am a Canary Island slash Spanish uh, photographer um, and other things. <laughs> uh, and I've been sort of doing photography like on and off for, I don't know, more than 10 years, I guess, at this point. And I specialize in uh, fine art um, conceptual photography. I think that's the category that best represents what I do. I do a lot of like 18th century romanticism inspired landscape people photography 
and uh, I'm also an architect. That's my sort of study background, and I work as a graphic and web designer at the moment. Wow, really cool background. I didn't know that about you, that you worked as an architect. How has that affected yeah. your photography? Is there a relationship between that and your work? Well, I think so. I think I, I, I look at spaces, even though most of what I post, usually in like social medias or on my, on my website, um, tends to be more like landscape-y. Whenever I, I sort of shoot, I, I feel I have a... I think of the space of uh, a photo as photography in, in a very different way that people around me or uh, other photographers that I've met. Uh, yeah, I, I have this sort of sense or in, yeah, like the, the way I, I perceive like depth and I work with it, it's very um, affected by what I studied and, and how I specialized in architecture, which uh, was basically in visualization. This, this, I don't know how you say that in English, but visualization, I think it's the word. So I specialize in all the images of the buildings that are not yet built. So it's a lot of like projecting and imagining how things are going to look, how shadows are going to affect, how textures are going to um, sort of blend with each other. And I think that has translated a lot in how I shoot and in how I edit, especially. Wow, that's really yeah. interesting to know. And I can see how much work you put into that and how it affects your photography as well. I've seen so many of your pictures, and especially the ones that are panoramic. They have yeah. depth. And typically for panoramic images, in my experience at least, I end up with a lot of negative space. But in your photographs, you end up finding details that together work in harmony in the image. That's really difficult to achieve. And it just, I guess, comes from your wonderful creative intuition. <laughs> well, thank you very much uh, for your kind words. Actually, when I, I sort of started doing panoramics uh, when I was already posting on Instagram, and I think that also has affected a lot on how I build my panoramic shots. So I, I know I'm going to post that panoramic sort of cut up in three pieces. So I always like to focus and be conscious that I can only sort of leave empty one of those three um for instagram purposes uh it started like that and now it's just it's become a bit of an obsession of always working in that sort of like third uh structure on pictures so every single third has a, an interest in itself so instagram as a platform was the foundation for that idea yeah, yeah, it's sort of, um, I mean, I've always been very attracted to sort of panoramic images. Like I've, even uh, when Instagram was not around and I was shooting, I've never been like a vertical shot kind of person. I've always been very attracted by those sort of more uh, rectangular, horizontal sort of view. Um, I like horizon is like a very important sort of thing for me when I shoot like where is the the visual line of the photo um so when when I transitioned into Instagram and I was very frustrated by the square shaped 
I, I saw Laura Salenga, the German photographer. She was doing this also sort of panoramic three square photos. Um, it's sort of shaped the way that now, even though I'm not really that active on Instagram anymore, it's still uh, sort of shaped the way that now I, I work with panoramic images. Um, because I didn't want to have like two white squares sort of appearing in someone's feet. So I always sort of started thinking of an image as a, a three or four piece uh, structure. It sounds very mechanical and technical, but it became more like a flow, I guess. Right. And that flow works for you perfectly. And it's something that inspires you. And I think that's what matters most when you're taking photographs. Yeah, yeah. Now when, when I shoot, I, because, well, I, I do the classic sort of like I shoot the main part of the photo, which is my main frame, and then I sort of do expansion shots around it. So I can then in, in editing, I can control exactly how the horizontal frame is going to look. So I can sort of move it a bit around to the left, a bit around to the right and sort of find that perfect balance. But when I'm on site shooting, I always try to find that either on the right or the left, there's something slightly different that will, that will move the eye sort of. Uh, from there to the center uh, piece of the image. Mm -hmm. yeah, so having some sort of leading line. Yeah. Actually, like, well, I sort of mentioned it a bit at the beginning, but I've been obsessed with, like, 18th century paintings, like William Turner and um, Bacon and Constable and all the British, great British painters. Uh, I was working briefly as a volunteer in the Tate Gallery in, in London. And they had to like teach me all about Turner's paintings so I could explain that to visitors. And there's this massive paint, sorry, that I don't remember what the name is, but there's like a sort of an army marching to fight Attila and the Uns or something like that. There's an elephant in that picture. Everybody knows the picture as like the elephant painting. <laughs> Um, and he does this sort of like, um, kind of like a twirl kind of composition. So like your view sort of like spirals from the further left down corner to the center of the image where the elephant is by just painting all the important information in that spiral. And since I sort of learned that, I've been a bit obsessed with sort of trying to recreate a bit of that spiral in how I try to move the eye of someone through the photo. Sometimes I've achieved it, sometimes I don't. Mm. Oh, yes, the life of a photographer. <laughs> you have failures, lots of them, and you have achieved the things too, successes that make yes. you along the way. Some yeah. of them. But yeah, I think that spiral sort of shape, uh, alongside with this Instagram sort of, uh, force me so that those two things force me into like this system ish that I now have when I shoot and when I edit those photos. I always have that in the in the back burner. So to somebody who is not familiar with panoramic shots and how they're made, you briefly mentioned uh, that you have to expand the main image by taking shots of it. So take me through that process. Do you use a tripod for that? How do you ensure that the panoramic shot is easy to merge? Uh, in Photoshop or in Lightroom later? 
Yeah, so um, well, I think it's called the Bessier, uh, or I, I, it had a name. I, ha I would have to Google that, but it's basically, um, I've done it both with tripod and without. If you're beginning to do that, always the tripod is your best friend. Um, so if I have a tripod, I would just shoot the, the main frame or the center of the image. And then without moving the tripod, I will just tilt the camera to the left and to the right. So I will take an, a photo, always bearing in mind that you have to blend them. So you cannot, you have to sort of overlap the image. So you have to leave some information from the center frame in both the side frames. I don't know if I'm making sense. But uh, yeah, so you sort of like tilt it a bit to the left, bit to the right, bit to the top, bit to the bottom, bit to the top left, top right. So I tend to sort of, again, follow kind of like a spiral sort of shape. So I go left, top, left, top center, top right, right, bottom right, bottom center, and bottom left. And I usually like expand a lot. So I take a lot of extra photos just in case I want to... I have like any missing spots because sometimes you miss things and then when you merge them in Photoshop, you you have corners that you sort of like didn't overlap. So I, I always have, well, like I would always like to have extra visual information so I can fill the gaps or alter the landscape if that's what I'm doing in that photo. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not using a tripod, I will sort of do the same, but try to stay very still and sort of like shoot a main image and try to sort of like only do the same movement, but just without moving my body and try not to alter the angle of the shoot, of the shot as much. To be fair, though, I'm a bit of extreme expansion <laughs> with photographer. Usually my images are about between 20 and 30, 35 shots each image, just to achieve the, the landscape vision that I want. Whoa, yeah, that requires a lot of patience, I can imagine. Yeah, well, to be, uh, I'm, I used to just stitch them by hand, sort of one-on-one, -on -one, um, because I felt it was more authentic. Now I just, I photo merge and then I, I tweak most of it photo merge as the automatic um, tool that Photoshop has to us. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to check out Creatives Off Script, a podcast where they interview top creatives from all industries, from the number one commercial director in the world to the CMO of Peloton. You can hear amazing stories of success and creative inspiration. Find Creatives Off Script on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen. Yeah, I think most editing programs nowadays that are made for photographers have this option, which is great because it's such a time saver. And if you take the proper photographs during your shoot, then it's very likely that the program will be able to merge them properly. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, I think it's that's kind of a, a very important thing that you just sort of mentioned in passing is try to, when you are shooting, trying to think a bit ahead of what you may end up doing with that photo and just take photos, extra shots, just in case, because you, you never know what kind of creative flair will, will come to you when you're editing. So it's always 
good to have a couple of good extra shots with the same lighting and the same sort of um, situation so you can just play a bit uh, later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would also like to, to add a tiny disclaimer if someone that's listening um, is interested in exploring uh, expansion shoots or never have done them before, don't do them with water. Because I've, I've done this to myself previously of doing panoramic expansion shoots uh, by the ocean or in the sea. Water moves a lot and your expansion is going to be a nightmare to construct. Because the wave will not match up. And yeah, don't expand ocean photos. That's my, my tip. That's a really great tip. Thank you for sharing that. I was already thinking about creating like photos by body of water and you shared that tip at the right time because now I'm not going to do that. Well, I mean, you can do it. It's just that you have to take like five times the same amount of photos. So you have multiple shapes and types of waves. So you can then sort of blend them sort of in a way that looks natural-ish. But it's a lot of time consuming. I've, I've done a couple of them and every time that I shoot them, I'm just like, why do I do this to myself? Why do I keep on doing this? Yeah, you do it for the art. Do it for yeah. the yes. love of it. Yeah, yeah, but I totally understand. Let's move on to the things that actually help you take these photographs. What camera equipment do you Well, most of the, the photos that have sort of... Um, I was going to say made me famous, but I'm, I'm not famous by any chance. Uh, most of the photos that had sort of become viral-ish of my portfolio had been shot with a Canon 60D and a 50mm um, lens, like the, the cheapest 50mm lens. Just uh, only a couple of years ago, I actually upgraded my equipment and now I shoot a, with a Canon 60 Mark II and I have a Sigma 35mm uh, f1.4, I think, 1.2, maybe it's 1.2. Well, it's a very open uh, diaphragm uh, and that's everything that I use. And the tripod, if I'm used on one. But um, I'm very much of the carrying the less amount of equipment that I can all, all around. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I also used the 60D a few years ago and I loved it, especially the tilt screen. Oh, yeah. Actually, when I was upgrading to full frame, I, I waited for an extra year because the Canon 5D and the 6D didn't have a tilt frame. But the 6D Mark II did have a tilt frame. And I was really interested in that for self-portrait purposes. So I sort of waited until they put a full frame with a tilt screen on the market. So I, I upgraded. Well, see, the more you share in this interview, the more I understand that you're a very patient person waiting for equipment, <laughs> waiting for your panoramic shots to work out. Very, very patient person. That's nice. Uh, well, I, I guess so. I never consider myself uh, patient, but just, I, I don't tend to talk about my photography that much because in, in my work environment, it's more like a, a thing that I don't share as much with my co-workers. I tend to share it more with friends, family, and sort of close people 
it is quite like a personal project for me. Uh, but when I do mention, oh, yes, yeah, so I spent like two days editing this photo, people are always look at me a bit like, why? <laughs> How? Yeah, why put yourself through that, right? Because <laughs> I, I have to. <laughs> it looks pretty now, so... Yeah, it's amazing how every photographer has their own techniques and it's always so nice to hear about what works for someone because very different things work for very different people. Some people don't like editing at all. Others like editing a little bit. Others like editing a lot. So it's incredible that we have all these opportunities to express ourselves technically and emotionally. And yeah, totally. Actually, I've, I've, like the only sort of bad experiences that I've encounter in the photography world has been with people um, criticizing or commenting that I edit my photos too much. And I think that's like such a, an unfair statement because like it doesn't, yeah, like everybody edits the amount that they sort of need for their own artistic vision. Uh, and I don't think there's a scale where you can measure how too much or too little a photo is edited. It's, it just tells a different story and editing is a part of the photography process as much as shooting. Absolutely. Yeah, editing is also an expression of yourself and it can feel like a very separate world to taking photographs. For me, it does sometimes. It's like two different worlds and then you merge them. Yeah. Well, in, in my case, I tend to edit quite a lot and I always know that I'm going to edit that photo. I, I, I will never feel comfortable posting a photo that is unedited for some reason. So I'm always kind of trying to think ahead of what I'm going to do to the photo in post-production when I'm shooting so I can get as um, like um, the most accurate shot so my life in Photoshop later will be a bit easier. Mm -hmm. So yes, so the whole visualization thing that you mentioned earlier, it's important to have that as somebody who edits a lot. Yeah. Although to be fair, I think my aim when I edit most of my photos is to edit them, uh, but to make it realistic. Like I, I never, I always sort of, spend so much time on a photo because I want to change it but still look like it could be real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a difficult balance to, to in your work and it takes a lot of time and definitely a lot of experience to get to work and create these images that are realistic but also edited quite a lot. So It's just patience, I guess. That's the one that we were mentioning earlier. <laughs> yes, we're going back to patience now. That's the key word here. Yeah, apparently, yes. Also, I always like to sort of uh, say uh, that I started and I learned how to edit because I didn't have the budget to actually build up these super intricate photo shoots that I was imagining. So I, I don't have a crew, I don't have assistance, I don't have money to get gowns or dresses or props. So... Uh, I learned how to sort of create them later so I could cut down the costs on, on creating photos. Right. You're a great example of somebody who does that really well. And if anyone is listening and they feel like they 
can't express themselves because of financial reasons that shouldn't stop you photoshop and lightroom and there are so many free editing programs out there you can use them to your advantage yes. any photographs without spending a lot of money on props or equipment yeah actually like it it took me a while but uh it took me years and now that i think about it, it's a bit silly but i realized one day that i could take my own stock photos so whenever I see a sky that I like, the colors, I will take a photo and I will store it in a folder. So I have pretty skies that I like. So I don't have to be finding a stock photo that I like or paying um, for using stock photos. So everything that you have around in, in your house, in your life, you can use it to your own created advantage when especially you don't have that money to sort of put into like a side hobby or creative endeavor that's really smart that's a great tip and as you take these stock photographs you also learn about photography more so you're yeah. creating this collection and you're also improving your skills at the same time yeah and, and you learn about light and about how shadows work i think that goes back a bit to my a bit to my architecture background like Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% of your first year as a premium member. I think when you edit and when you photo compose, which is a lot of what I do, um, shadows and light consistency is the most important thing when you are editing. So learning to, maybe I don't have that specific object that I want to put in a photo, but I know that it has to have a shadow. So let me try to find something that will create a shadow that then I can use Photoshop purposes later. And a big part of your work is emotions. So being oh, yes. able to express yourself, it's not just taking a beautiful a photo that looks technically beautiful and, and visually beautiful. Uh, the soul of your photography is your emotions. So how do you go about expressing yourself in your work? Well, um, I actually, I, I've had uh, mental health struggles, I think, like, 90% of artists probably have them um, for like a really long time since I was a teenager. But I lived and I grew up in an environment where um, mental health was not really a topic that people talked about. Um, and therapy was not even an option that I could consider. I have all of these frustrations and emotions that I know now have names for them, but I didn't know how to express them. And um, 
even though now we're having a podcast and I'm trying to put words into it, I've always felt that so many emotions are so complicated to express through words um, that I, I sort of, I found photography was a way for me to express them because I could, well, I, I wanted to paint them. That was my first instinct, but I was really a crappy painter. I'm really bad at drawing and painting. So photography came into um, trying to showcase or putting shape to those feelings that I had bubbling up. Um, and then it sort of became like a therapy uh, in a way. In my, in my brain, I separate my photos usually into like two main types of photos. So I have my sort of more landscape, fairy tale which is what I wish I could feel, I guess. And then I have the more sort of cleansing images. Um, I was very aware of photography since I was, again, a teenager. And I all my photographers of reference, all the photographers that I loved, were actually not emotional photographers at all. Um, so I, I love Sebastião Salgado, the, the Brazilian uh, guy. I love Maplethorpe uh, and all his flower photography. Um, but they were like, it, it was all about like photo, um, journalist kind of images. And I always felt that there had to be something else and you could use it for something different. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know exactly why or how, but usually when I create a more sort of emotional or therapeutic photo, it's always um, the most important thing for me is to try to, in the same way you will try to find a word to express a feeling, for me is trying to imagine what shape that feeling will have or what texture and out of which part of my body it will be coming out of. And, um, and I, I feel very comfortable sharing photos that to me are very dark and deep and emotional um, because I feel like everybody can interpret what, however they can or what, however they want, but I don't have to tell with words how I feel. So for me, especially like 2020 was like a very rough year, like for most people. But I um, I ended up creating a series of, of photos uh, around my dealings with anxiety, um, which I'm very proud of that series because it was very important to me to sort of, for me, anxiety is like a, very physical thing. It's a physical pain. It's a. It has like this physical consequences, um, and it has a shape. It has a form. It has a texture. And I, I'm, and I also always want to sort of make it pretty. I, I've never wanted to make all this turmoil of emotions like harsh to look at. So it's, it's trying to always find a balance between this is how I feel and it doesn't feel great, but this is like the most 
artistic, visually pleasing way that I can express it. It's a great process. And I like that you don't feel like you need to share exactly how you're feeling using words. You just take those photographs, you express yourself through those images, and yes. you share them online very openly. I think it's difficult to be vulnerable, but you do it well. And then in doing so, you're able to help other people maybe see a reflection of themselves in your images or to just feel like they're less alone in this world. Yeah, also because I feel like it's a very cleansing experience, particularly like egotistically for me. Like when I'm able to portray visually what I feel, which is a very abstract concept, it feels very um, like it allows me to take all that emotion and sort of take it out of my body and put it in that image and then just release it. It's like a very cathartic kind of process. And the good thing is like in that sort of taking it out of me and putting it in an image, I feel that I can share it because it's not longer just mine. I've just turned it into the, it's kind of like Dorian Gray kind of thing. <laughs> Like I paint my emotion into that photo and then I just, it has a life on its own. And I find it very pretty if people can relate to it. And if they can't, uh, or maybe they don't get the message that I'm trying to say, that at least they feel something when they look at a photo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I sense a lot of emotions in your work when I look at your portfolio and it's very interesting that you look at it from that perspective where you give your emotions a life of their own and you separate yourself from them. I can understand why that's cathartic. Yeah. It's like when you, well, I had this, there's this sub gender, uh, gender, not sub, sub category, let's say that, uh, a sub sort of version of anxiety uh, that I started suffering in 2020, which is called, depersonalization that I don't know if you ever heard it before but it's this uh, sort of when your brain is so anxious and so stressed that it sort of decides that cannot deal with all your five senses at the same time because it's too much information so it blocks a couple of them um, and I was experiencing this for a couple of years and I never knew what it was, it just felt very weird. Uh, and then I found the word depersonalization and I read the description, I was like, oh, it's this, now I know what it is, now I can put a word to it. Uh, and in that sort of same process, now that I know what the word is, now I can find a visual way in which I can translate it into a photo. So it's kind of like a two-part process or it's the same sort of mechanic in which when you find a word that represents what you're feeling, um, it sort of gives you a bit of peace because you're not just crazy. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Sure. Yeah, when you're able to put a word to some, not, in, not necessarily label, but just be able yeah. to describe something that you're feeling uh, and not have it be this abstract thing in your life it's definitely less intimidating and less scary <laughs> yeah and you feel less alone uh, and actually i do use labels i think labels are good for certain things like when you label something you make it exist you don't have to attach yourself to it but you can use it as a way to to make people like 
find a community in a way. Absolutely, yeah. And I can imagine that photography has helped you this way in your personal life. It has helped you express yourself in all kinds of ways and maybe put words to certain emotions that you weren't aware of before. And it has also helped you connect with a lot of people. Yeah, well, actually, it's very funny because the first time I went to therapy, which was 2020, uh, uh, when I contacted my now therapist, what I first was like, hey, hello, I'm Sylvia, blah, blah. This is my photography portfolio. <laughs> This is how I feel. Just help me. Ah, was your therapist able to come up with some conclusions based on your work? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, I even though you, I, I don't know if you, if you've struggled with this as a photographer yourself, but um, a lot of people are, talk about, oh, this photography has their own style and their own sort of like way, and it's very distinguishable. Um, and I always felt like I didn't have a style. And then at some point I started looking at my portfolio and was like, oh, it, everything kind of looks of like similar-ish. Uh, when it comes to my sort of more emotional photos, I, I looked back at some point to all that I've been creating throughout the years. And I was like, oh, I can see a theme. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, things tend to come out of my skin and it's this sort of like there's a very um, recurrent theme in how I express um, how those emotions come out of me in photos so my therapist was like yeah let's let's talk about that <laughs> oh that's really interesting I think when as photographers and as beginners especially when we want to develop our styles we're so anxious and we, we want to do that quickly but before we know it, we practice regularly, we try different things, and sooner than later, we'll discover that we already have a style of our own. It was just waiting to be you know, formed. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I, I cannot really, I think I do have a style right now and a, and a recognizable uh, type of photography, but I, I have no idea when that started to be recognizable. It's just, it happens. Yeah, it just happens. It's interesting. It's like magic. It just poof happens. Yeah, then one day you look back and you're like, oh, it, it all makes sense. Yeah, there's a pattern. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like therapy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You've been a photographer for many years. You've been shooting for over 10 years. What is the most important lesson that you've learned so far? Um, that's a very good question. I guess that the most important thing that I've learned through photography is that you cannot make the art that you don't feel. Like, the only way to, to unless it, if it is your job and you're just doing, like, some kind of photography that you don't control creatively, which that's I think is a different thing. But in in the artistic sense, even though you want you you cannot just imitate someone else. I've always been fascinated by certain types of photography that I love so much, but I just it's just not me. Um, I cannot fake to be a different person when I take photos. Like I think there's. It's a very raw and a very instinctual thing, like every kind of art 
you cannot hide yourself in art, in any kind of art expression. So you might as well embrace it. it it's been actually very important for me when it comes to my self-esteem and sort of appreciating my, my worth and my value. Because I just, if I didn't like what I do, I wouldn't do it. And I think that's the most important thing that I've learned through photography. It's like there's, there's no hiding yourself when you create. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very important lesson to learn. And it seems like common sense, but sometimes it takes a long time before you realize that for yourself. Yeah. Also, as a side sort of learning, because uh, I do a lot of self-portraits as, as you do, uh, but for me, I don't know if it's the same, but, um, and I've had to explain this a lot to people that view my work. Um, it's not me in the photos, even though it's physically me, it's, it's not me on the photos. It's a projection it's in a way, like there's no way to actually sort of, yeah, I don't know how to explain it a bit better, but yeah, it's like I... I use myself as a, a tool to the message that I want to create. It's not me. Just put yourself in my photos and, and that, that will be everything that you need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely understand what you mean. Yeah, I think what, if someone doesn't take self-portraits for not familiar with that world, then they assume that you're just taking photos of yourself all the time. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's different characters sometimes. It's different stories that you're... You're, you're wanting to tell and you're just using yourself as a tool. Yeah, I think it's kind of like doing theater in a way. I think it's like you're creating a stage and you're using yourself to portray a character. Um, and like any, like now people talking about a bit more with the whole social media and people portraying the version that they want of themselves. But um, photography is a bit of the same. Like you are just cropping away a lot of what's outside of the photo. And I think that's a very important thing to always bear in mind when you look at photography. Like photography is artistic, it's creative, it's expressive, but also it's very, uh, very much not reality. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. In a world where we see photographs hundreds of them, thousands of them every day, potentially, it's very easy to fall into the trap, assuming that the things you see are real life, when in reality, they're very carefully crafted and curated, especially yeah. professional photos. Many of them, I mean, if you see a landscape shot, it's very likely that it was edited. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the wrong thing is to assume that it's exactly like that in real life. Yeah, it's like if you see a painting, uh, you would not assume that it's a hundred percent reflection of reality. Uh, and people tend to think because photography um, is a sort of more direct representation of what is in front of you, uh, people tend to believe that it's hundred percent real. Uh, the whole sort of meme of like pics or it didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's quite an interesting uh, thing to always have in mind. Yeah, it's very important for self-esteem and for mental health, because if you know that it took someone a while to edit a certain photograph, then it won't be as easy to compare yourself to them. Yeah, 
also because there's a lot like a lot of my landscape portrait uh photos like most of the time even if the image is not altered even if the landscape is exactly like that and i didn't take out any rubbish cans and every any sort of lighting pole thing on the back sometimes there are photos that are super romantic and ethereal and in behind the camera there was a family having a barbecue playing reggaeton music very loudly and you just can't see that on a photo but that's how that photo was taken and that was part of the reality of that moment so um i always find it very funny um because most of the backstories of my photography is very random and includes a lot of things that um i mean you don't have to edit them visually but it's just it adds a layer of like real life that you cannot see in the images yeah only the photographers know only the photographer knows what actually happened yeah and how you were super dirty when you came back home when all your hands were just covered in mud and you got stung by a rayfish while you were taking that photo in the ocean. Yeah, all of this. Well, did that ever happen to you? Yeah, talking about experience. What was that like? Well, interesting. Um, <laughs> well, it, it it was it was a dead sting uh, ray, uh, and but it still had some bits of venom, I guess, on the on the legs. Let's call that. Um, yeah, so it's it's a photo that I took in 2014, and it's it's like this super romantic, and it's called Song of the Siren, and I'm just like with a wedding dress in the middle of the sort of like rock beach, and my feet was just burning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reality versus photograph. Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah, I I've fallen out of a window. Uh, I've scratched my legs in way too many places to count even i nearly got hypothermia i mean it's just everything um but then your portfolio just looks very magical and just super calm super chill so um i always find it very i'm, I'm always make like an effort i guess it's part of the whole sort of i don't feel uh constricted to share my traumas and my emotions through my photography i i feel that more photographers should share all those stupid backstories to those photos. It, it makes them a bit more real um, and it makes it more human and more fun to to tell all those stupid back photos and all those weird shots you take in between the actual perfect pose. So I have folders and folders of just stupid faces of me trying to get into position. <laughs> Oh, I can relate to that. Yeah, I can imagine, like, hair in your face, sticking to things. Um, I always find it that it makes actually the, the emotional sharing part much more real if you also share the stupid bits. Because so, people tend to think, I feel, that photography is, like, this such a elegant sort of, like, uh, you, you know, profession and job when you're just, like, taking photos and it's all, no, it's not, it's hiking, uh, climbing through things, and just doing very weird things that somehow function, like, work in camera. Uh, yeah, you're essentially crafting a world of your own, and that takes a lot of effort and time, and it involves a lot of training. 
Yeah, and and it's like it kind of goes back a bit to what we were talking about before in the panoramic uh, and camera thing. Uh, for everybody who's listening, like you can also do it. It's there's no um, sort of like uh, I don't know, like gate uh, that sort of stops you from actually creating very beautiful and crafty and elegant photos. Just because you don't feel like elegant when you're taking them doesn't mean that you can create a very beautiful, surreal image by yourself. Exactly. You can do anything that you put your mind to, basically. Yes, exactly. And just don't feel forced that magic has to be happening in that moment. Like magic is something that you can also craft like any other ability that you have. You're like a friendly photographer fairy who's giving out advice and encouragement. I love it. <laughs> well, I, I like the, the concept of being a photography fairy. <laughs> and that's just what came to mind. You sound very nurturing and kind. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I have one more question for you, Sylvia, and that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? Oh, I guess the ultimate goal for me is to... I would love to to have an exhibition. I think that's my sort of ultimate goal, uh, which may sound either very big or very silly. That I just I would like to go into a room and just seeing my photos on walls, or people to have them on their house. I think that that would be my ultimate goal because I've never really. I've always had photography. I, I've never pursued it as my main job because I, I've always sort of considered more an art than a job for me, if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, for me, like as an art geek and complete nerd at museums to see what I create in, in somewhere close to a museum style of exposition would be the absolute dream come true even though if I don't sell any of them uh, to just see them all printed in in sort of like large um, formats would be my ultimate dream because when you when you work with panoramic shots to print them is actually quite a complicated ordeal <laughs> so I, I don't print that many of my photos because uh, it has to be for like an, a specific client that wants them. Uh, so to see them all in like large format in a room would be absolutely insane. That's a great dream. And I'm sure that you'll be able to achieve it because you have such a unique style. And as we've discussed in this episode, you're very good at expressing yourself. So I have no doubt that you will be able to reach your goals. Well, that's very kind of you. <laughs> I, yes, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say that even if, if I don't achieve it, though, I think I'm quite um, happy to just have created what I've done so far. I think that's also very important because um, I've been very disconnected from, from social media as I'm posting on Instagrams and stuff the last couple of years because I've been focusing on my mental health. And to me, posting in social media has become a bit of a devaluing factor 
to my images in a way. Like I, it it makes me sort of think of an image as a better or worse image, depending on how good it performs on social media. I think that's a disservice to creating art in a way. So um, just the fact that I've created the, the pieces that I've created just because of me and for myself, whether or not I share them and I get likes or follows and, or get a, an exhibition, I think it's, it's important that I look at what I have in my portfolio and I'm like, yeah, whether or not someone sees them, I'm, I'm happy that I created this. It's a very good attitude to have, to be content with what you have and to see any other achievements as just bonuses. Yeah, it's not going to stop me from keep on creating, but it takes away that weird pressure, I guess, of just consuming photos and, and consuming content. And now it's video and now you have to change the way you create and now it has to be in video format and now it's going to be vertical and it's just like adapt as much as you can i guess because at the end of the day if you are not seen um and you want to really pursue a job in arts or photography you have to to get on uh with what is happening at the moment in social media internet the market etc but just be happy that you open your portfolio and you're like this is pretty and you look at a photo from like 2012 and you're like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. I still sort of like it. <laughs> yeah, it's always nice to look back in your work and to feel some kind of pride and joy, even if a little. Yeah, you're like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's decent. <laughs> yes. Well, I always feel extreme pride when I look back at like a 2012 photo and I'm like, you know what? I don't see any obnoxiously insulting editing flaws <laughs> so i will be fine with that <laughs> yeah you should be proud of your journey regardless of the things that you've been through and thank you so much for sharing your experiences with me i'm sure the listeners are inspired by your story i definitely am and i wish you all the very best with your future as a photographer as an architect as a designer and everything else that you will be well, thank you very much. It's been absolutely lovely to, to chat with you and to have an excuse to talk about photography for an hour. It's nice. Thank you. Thank you so very much. The Great Big Photography World wouldn't be what it is without our incredible listeners. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to other photographers' stories and share your feedback with us. If you'd like to help us keep this podcast running smoothly, you can become a member on our website. In return for your help, we'll provide you with all kinds of exciting perks. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. My favorite part of this episode was when Sylvia said that you can't make art that you don't feel. I completely agree with that. So I hope that this episode inspired you to stay true to your values as a photographer, to stay true to your emotions, and to photograph things that really stand out to you and make you feel good. If you want to join the conversation and be a part of this podcast in a deeper way, make sure to join our community. If you have any questions for any of our guests, make sure to let us know in the podcast guests subforum. We'd love to hear from you and we would love to get to know more about you. See you next week. 
There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.